Hello, welcome to the first episode of Existential Joy. I am your host, Amanda Lee. I am a counselor in training, life coach, and all around somebody who is just very dedicated in finding meaning and purpose and joy in this life that seems intense on making it difficult. Um, so I kind of wanted to take this first episode and really just talk about the inspiration behind it and give you guys a little bit of an idea of who I am, which is feels like such a big leap because I have such a big fear of being truly seen and truly witnessed. So this is really outside of my comfort zone and I'm excited to be stretching and pushing myself a little bit further. The whole idea of existential joy came kind of in a direct opposition of my own experiences of existential crises and dread. I struggled with this for so long in my late teens, my early to mid 20s. It actually landed me in an institution at one point where I was truly convinced that nothing matters in a way that meant that I did not matter, that there was no reason to keep going. And even though my life looked really good on paper, you know, I was working on my degree, I had a home, I have a beautiful family, I had a very supportive and loving, well, I still have a very supportive and loving spouse, I had a beautiful, beautiful child. You know, on all accounts, our life, my life looked really perfect on paper. It was kind of the American dream, and I was so immensely, insufferably miserable. I would have days that I couldn't get out of bed. I would have weeks on end that I couldn't, you know, I wouldn't do any chores, any housework. Everything felt like it was too much and too big. Um, I really felt slipped into the kind of nihilism of since nothing matters and our lives and our experiences they're just a waste because we ourselves do not matter um and yeah I became incredibly suicidal in a way that I am very grateful I ended up not being able to go through with with due to a lot of support and also just my own decision not to do so. I think we put sometimes too much pressure on the people around us to keep us alive when that's not always possible. I know what it's like to be on the edge of that cliff looking down. And if you don't, you don't always get a chance to save somebody. So that's kind of heavy for a first episode, but existential joy came to me through these experiences. I heard once that if you go um, far enough into the crises and into the misery, you find you can find your way through the other side because we live in a non-dual reality, experiencing duality. Right? You know, we we live in a very dual and linear existence, but the true reality is the exact opposite. Nothing is linear. There is no such thing as duality. So eventually, if you push hard enough, you can touch the opposite side because they're all smushed together in a fun, existential, mystical, layered sort of experience. So, yeah, existential joy just meant 
taking absolute responsibility of how we show up and making conscious decisions for like who I wanted to be and how I wanted to interact with the world around me and understanding that there are certain aspects of life that are just completely inevitable. You know, pain, trauma, death, all of these things are completely inevitable. They happen to everybody. I don't know anyone who's gotten through any amount of life without experiences, experiencing those things, you know. I think in Buddhism, they say that some of the four, you know, the, there's truth. Everybody will suffer. Everybody will become sick. Everybody will die. Those are all just truths of life. And if we can find that much dread and pain and crises, then we can also find that much joy. We can find joy in every moment. We can become empowered to live a good life and make good meaning. We can have the radical taking of responsibility of ourselves and the lives we are creating in the search for good meaning. I think this is what alchemists really called the great work. It's what Carl Jung, who's a psychologist, called individuation. Um, I think it can kind of also be equated to the idea of Satori, which is just like finding moments of enlightenment instead of expecting a disembodied version of enlightenment where we transcend our own human form, but instead finding it while we're in our human form. There's a hundred, there's a hundred thousand concepts of what this means, but it all points to the same thing, that we bring these unconscious things conscious, we integrate them into the self that we experience now so completely that you get to experience true self-realization and come to understand your own purpose and meaning in this life. And you really, truly find joy. Deep, deep, unshakable joy. And I think that's the goal of most spiritual and conscious seekers, and even scientific seekers, right? We all want to experience wholeness we all want to experience joy we all we all want and it's a very human thing we all want to have a good fucking time so whether we're doing it through therapy or religion uh spirituality scientific searching we are all searching for the same thing something to give us meaning something to give our lives meaning and how to enjoy it while we're here there's a hermetic text called the Kybalion. It's one of the most, I probably one of the most often cited hermetic texts. And the first principle that it says you have to understand and integrate into your consciousness is that the mind is all and the universe is mental. Meaning that everything that we experience begins first and foremost in our minds. And I used to think that this was stupid and such a harmful thing to put out there. Um, I didn't want to have to work on my thoughts or my feelings. I wanted the world to sort itself out so that I could feel good and comfortable and safe. Um, so years of therapy and a fully developed prefrontal cortex later, I understand that before I started on this path, I was so deeply terrified that I could not be trusted to make the decisions needed to find joy or healing or anything that resembles happiness. So I outsourced that. So in the hermetic tradition, it's that idea of all is the mind, the universe is mental. In psychology, it is the internal versus the external locus of control. So I had an external local of, locus of control for a long time. My reality was a series of reactions, not responses, but just knee-jerk reactions to the world around me. 
So you would find me lashing out at people, you'd find me becoming wildly and inconsolably depressed over big life events that were happening, sometimes in other countries and worlds away from me. And I used to think that I was just very empathetic, but now I understand that that was misplaced. I am incredibly empathetic and I'm incredibly compassionate, but I was in so much pain that I would just find things to be upset about instead of confronting the fact that this was a feeling coming from inside of me first and foremost. So all is mental, all is the mind. It sounds really familiar and if you've spent more than 10 minutes on the internet, you've probably heard of working on your mindset which is super incredibly important and I think people don't give it enough credit. It's basically all of cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, but you've also probably heard of manifesting, which is really grounded in this first principle that all is the mind and the universe is mental. A few years ago, manifestation was a buzzword that I would consistently roll my eyes out. And of course, now it's something that I actively practice. Um, you would catch me saying, oh, that's just some like white girl spiritual shit, right? Me being an actively white spiritual girl. But let's break it down because manifestation is... I think an extension of existential joy, existential crisis, or just, you know, the experience of being alive. Um, so many people, myself included, thought that manifestation was just basically somebody praying and wishing for something and maybe lighting a few candles. Uh, and then I got more into it and realized that I was completely wrong, but also that I was getting a lot of misinformation. So. Sorry, I'm doing this in my kitchen and you might hear some background noise. Uh, manifestation is not something that you can do in 24 hours. You're not going to cure your cancer or fundamentally change the action or inaction of other people through manifestation. It is 100% taking control of your actions and behaving in a way that you believe will bring about your desired outcomes. Too many people dwell in the beautiful occult background of manifestation that they really fail to see that manifestation is just self-guided cognitive behavioral therapy. Manifestation doesn't just work on vibes alone. Some people that I work with in my coaching practice are totally terrified of the idea of manifestation because they believe that their anxious, depressive, or intrusive thoughts are going to suddenly become manifest in their waking lives with like no power to stop it. You know, like they think that if they spend too much time thinking or worrying about someone getting sick, that they themselves will make that person sick. And that's just not gonna work any better than me sitting around daydreaming about being a millionaire is gonna make me like fat stacks of cash, right? Like if I'm sitting on my couch daydreaming about being a billionaire and, you know, wishing that I had the problem of orcas taking down my yacht, I'm not gonna suddenly wake up tomorrow a billionaire. So if you are thinking about manifestation and it feels really scary and overwhelming because you know, like me, you have intrusive thoughts. I think a lot of my children dying in really horrible, horrible accidents. Me experiencing that thought is not going to suddenly create that experience in the universe, right? That's, that's not really how it works. The first step of finding joy and manifestation and cognitive behavioral therapy and all of these things that come into, that come in together to make good meaning and a good life is taking that radical control of your thoughts 
it's not always an easy task. You know, I spent many years thinking about suicide on a very daily basis and struggling with thoughts of, I could hurt myself, I could do this, and they're very intrusive. And I'm in no way saying that those are gone. By the way, I've done years and years of therapy, lots of self-help stuff, lots of lifestyle changes, and still sometimes, you know, I slip up and something is big or stressful or hard, and sometimes that's still the first thought that enters my head. So no matter how mentally well or unwell you believe yourself to be, it's a great first step and it's difficult no matter what. No matter what your diagnosis is, no matter if you have a diagnosis or not, it, there's a reason that it's the basis of so many spiritual traditions is because it's hard for us as humans. It's just a hard thing to do. Our thoughts are what create our feelings. Our feelings are ultimately how we decide to act and the actions that we do take reinforce or begin to change the beliefs and thoughts that we have in the first place. So it creates a kind of cycle, right? So I believe that I cannot have something or I can't do something. So it creates this really big feeling of lack and scarcity. And so then I act from that place. I act from that place of lack and scarcity which reinforces the belief that I cannot have something, I cannot do something, which makes it true in my mind. And it takes a massive amount of courage and commitment to interrupt that cycle. So if you have a thought that you're unworthy or undeserving and feel shame, and so you decide not to act, then you're reinforcing through your own inaction that those thoughts and beliefs are true. But if you're feeling unworthy and ashamed, but you take the risk anyway, it doesn't matter if you fail or if you succeed when you take that rest, risk. It disrupts your internal rules for how you have to be and what the world around you is. So if I am, say, very scared of being heard, I think that maybe I sound stupid and maybe I don't make a lot of sense, and that's why I should never have a podcast, right? Taking the risk anyway, no matter how it's received by the listening ears out there, disrupts that internal monologue that I have and goes, oh, well, she did it. I did it. So what else could be wrong? What else could be different? Fake it until you make it is absolutely applicable here. How you act doesn't always align with your beliefs and your beliefs won't always align with how you act. And that creates cognitive dissonance. Our brain desperately wants to be in alignment with itself. So anything that causes an amount of dissonance is going to trigger in your brain this idea that it needs to reevaluate something. So if I want to be more confident, more out there, more successful, then my job is to begin behaving in a way that I think that would look like without an attachment to the outcome of it. If it means getting up, early, if it means doing a podcast, if it means putting out a blog or going back to school, it's going to challenge the previously held beliefs I have about who I am. And more often than not, your brain is going to start shifting the beliefs, we like the self-beliefs and the self-concept that we have to put it in alignment with the behaviors that we're doing. So whether you believe in the hermetic principle, manifestation, modern therapy, whatever it is, the path to joy starts right here. It, you change your beliefs or you consciously decide to behave in a different way. You break open your own reality and you begin to see and experience things differently. And that, that is where 
existential joy starts and usually ends, but definitely starts right there. Taking control of your own narrative and your own story, deciding to prioritize joy, deciding to prioritize finding meaning and making a good purpose. So that's it. That is kind of the down and dirty, and there's a lot of things that I just kind of dumped in here that I will probably be teasing apart in later episodes and really getting into, so stick around if it's your jam, keep on going if it's not, but until that next time, I hope everyone goes out there, I hope you make good meaning, and I love you.